I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Douglas Lehman. And we love to watch. We love to watch Feeds on Your Hate. The thing about me that's so impressive is how infrequently I mention all of my successes. I poo-poo it when girls say that I should model. My belly's full from all the pride I swallow. I'm the most courteous, biddable, hospitable, reverential, normal Larry Arnold Schwarzenegger-ary. I hate compliments, put them in the mortuary. I'm so ordinary that it's truly quite extraordinary. It's not a competition, but I'm winning. All the quotes? You picked that one? Uh, it's the one that made me laugh the most when, when when they're just about to go on stage for an album no one likes, and they're like, we feed on their hate! We love to watch fucking hates farming, man. Yeah. Would you have preferred we love to watch as a nerd for ass? That was the other one I had. But maybe I did do it. Um, yeah, where we love to watch, we're a movie podcast, we pick a theme, we do movies over the course of that month around that theme, and if we remember, we compare and contrast, and we're in our third week of Musical May 4, here's some more, and which I think is what we settled on last week, as we waited till the third week to officially christen the month. Uh, and the goal of this month is that we took a break from doing musicals and we're trying to do some musicals that we really want to talk to. And for the most part, kind of unconventional in the sense of it being a musical. So we started with Stop Making Sense, which is definitely a movie with a ton of music. We've decided for the purposes of wanting to talk about Talking Heads that it's a musical. Uh, we did That Thing You Do, which, as we said last week, uh, is is it a musical if it's just those one song 20 times, basically? Uh, we decided, yes, also a musical. And now we're doing a pop star, which, you know, definitely meets all of the requirements of a of a musical in the same way that I think we, we did Hedwig and the Angry Inch a couple years back, uh, where, you know, the, the music that you're listening to for the most part is uh, diegetic, but it is, uh, you know, it's it's a bunch of parody Lonely Island songs, so people don't necessarily always think of it as musical, uh, but it is maybe one of the funniest movies I've seen in the last 10 years. Not maybe. I'm trying to think of uh, other ones that would fall into it. Um, but I, I think when I when I watch it, uh, I the only thing that I can really think of is MacGruber, which also has a lot of only Lonely Island uh, 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 influence and, and directorial members and stuff like that. So, yeah, I love this movie, and I'm so excited to talk about it. I'm so excited to talk about it with our guest, Doug. Who last joined us for, for a music? Hello, that, that's my niche, baby. I love me some uh, singing and dancing. This was uh, last one was the Muppets, if I remember correctly, and now we're doing uh, I, I think slightly different lyrical content type musicals than that one. The funny thing is, like they're very different. Obviously, like "Fuck Off" could never be in like a Muppet so movie, but like they're. 
<laughs> I, I do too, man. But like the f- the funny thing is, they are both good examples of like how comedy songs, the best ones are so well written. Like in both cases, these lyrics are so fucking sharp. Like these are good these, songs. Just these, in are, general. these are so good, you know what I mean? and I'm like, excited to talk about the songs a lot. Um, there but, is, I, mean, I got like a little rush when they started to do later in the movie. They started doing the like. <laughs> like they're trying to, like uh owen is doing this like uh oh yeah thing over the dj but to kick off one of their songs yeah um when they're like, doing the I little got, like excited uh, i was like the song makes me laugh it makes me happy let's do it's it it's so good and like uh yeah i mean this is um when i made my like top 100 albums I did an update list, part of like quarantine. I was bored and like, what can I do that, that, uh, <laughs> that makes my, my brain tickle with endorphins. And it was like, well, I haven't put together a obsessive list where I go through everything I have and put into categories. And, you know, Lonely Island is, um, uh, you know, a band that I like a lot of their albums. Uh, but this was my, this was my favorite. Like when I really looked at all the songs and I looked at how much like I had listened to these since they came out, this was my, this was my favorite. And I think, uh, you know, there's so many great songs featured in the movie. There's so many other funny songs that you basically have to get the album to hear the, the, the whole version of. It's also worth noting Lonely Island, last concert I saw pre quarantine. <laughs> I saw me and like uh, 10 people, including uh, my wife, Shauna, one of my brothers or two of my brothers came up for it. Uh, we It was really hard to get tickets, but like we had a bunch of people buying tickets at once and we ended up with like 15. So we, you know, we, we went uh, on the floor. They put on just a fucking amazing, amazing show. One of those shows that you're like, if I could just go to this every Friday night, I would probably go to it for a year straight. Because it was that much fun. And it was also fun because their surprise guest appearance, a movie that I talked about when we did our best of 2019, was Jose Canseco coming out during. Um, yeah, so uh, just a lot of fun. So I, what's so funny is how much we have. I don't think we've had much Lonely Island talk um, for most of the five year plus run of this podcast, Peter. And now in the last six months, we talked about them in the best of 2019 uh, when I talked about their um their uh, Netflix short movie on Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. Uh, we talked about them a lot at Palm Springs. We talked about them a lot during Brigsby Bear, which they were producers on. And now we're just kind of doing the the story of the Lonely Island movie. So we're still jumping our head, uh, ahead of ourselves a little bit. Doug, we got so excited to talk about these songs. Why, if, you're, if our audience hasn't heard you, please introduce yourself to our audience. Hello. We love to watch viewers. Um, <clears throat> it's me, Douglas Lehman. <laughs> Please don't view. We love to watch. It's the worst way to experience our show. <laughs> Please do not hack into my, my I device. just <laughs> didn't even notice. Hello, viewers of this <laughs> podcast. Like, if you are watching this, you are experiencing it with the wrong sense to really get the most out of it. I hate this VR we love to watch experience. What the hell? <laughs> that thing where I just stare at a logo for two hours? This sucks. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let me try that one more time. I love it. <laughs> it's all staying in. I'm going to try that. I was like fucking like in a radio broadcaster voice. And now I'm like trying not to get the giggles all over me. Um, Hi, listeners. I, I'm Douglas Lehman. Um, I'm a film critic. Um, I have a Rotten Tomatoes page. Humble brag. Um, I've also write for websites such as Looper. Comic book resources, off-cultured film days. I ramble about movies a lot on the internet is what I'm trying to say. Um, I love all types of cinema, but I especially love musicals, and I love 
comedy musicals a whole heck of a lot. And I guess part of this introduction too, I'll say like my May Lonely Island story, which is like I discovered them back in 2011. Because when you're 15 and you hear there's a song called Dick in a Box, you think it's like the most transgressive thing ever. Like you think that's it. How did someone make a song called that and get away with it? And you're like, is this like a Lars von Trier thing? Or right. What's going on? How the how did it get in that box? How did it get in there? Is this like a seven thing? What's in the box? <laughs> we both went for seven at the same time. But um, I got obsessed with them, and like ever since then, I've just always been attracted to these guys. At first, it was just for the. I think it was like with a lot of stuff, like Big Comedy Legends. It's at first just because like it's raunchy when you're a teenager. It's just funny. Yeah. People say sex in a song. But then as you get older, you grow to appreciate just how well structured the songs are and how good the absurdist humor is. And I think that's the best kind of comedy where it resonates with you on a different like age. At every point in your life, a new layer comes in. And that's what I discovered with Lonely Island in my short time knowing them. So Yeah, and I you know, we were we were kind of talking in the green green room about how Doug is on the the younger end of the millennial spectrum at twenty five and I'm in the <laughs> Excuse me. Apparently, I'm dying right now. Like, <laughs> the COVID. Just talking, just talking about how young Doug well, is. Like, my body starting down. to shrivel up. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I'm on the older end of the the spectrum, and uh, you know, I I do think that that is. Uh, you know, something like Lonely Island is something that, yeah, when you first hear it, they became super famous for stuff like Dick in the Box. And, you know, I was a little bit past college. Doug, you were probably, like you said, in like, uh, you know, sixth, seventh grade. And there still is a li- little bit of like, oh, they're saying dicks. But it was still funny to see it on TV. It was transgressive for Justin Timberlake, the NSYNC guy, to go and do this really raunchy song on uh, with Andy Samberg. Mm-hmm. And I... I agree, like, as I feel like um, one of the sad things we're going to talk about tonight is that, you know, the the world liked that part of it and then kind of moved on from Lonely Island. Because once the Saturday Night Live and the Justin Timberlake stuff specifically was done, they had an album that really didn't do very well. And then that was followed by this movie that didn't really do well, really well. And, you know, I actually think their songs have only gotten better. Their lyrics have only gotten funnier. Um, and I actually I discovered them even earlier because I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Awesome Town uh, pre Saturday Night Live a little bit as well. But yeah, and then the other thing I'll say too, just Doug, as you introduce yourself. So Doug has been a guest on this show for we've been doing the show five years. Doug, we've known you probably five or six years, seven years, guys, so, years? somewhere in that range. It's been a, it's been a while. It's been a while. And- <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, and then uh, – and you guessed on the show pretty early. You were one of the first people that we asked to guess. And I'll just say it is amazing as someone who when we first met you, uh, you were writing Nerd in the Basement blog post and really like uh, wanting to be a critic. And it's amazing to see uh, – you, like you said, you have a Rotten Tomatoes page. You're writing for all these different publications. I still read your stuff constantly. It's still fantastic. So it's so – Oh, uh, it's so great to see how far you've come in the in the five years uh, that we've five or six years that we've known you. Thank you, Aaron. It's very heartening. Uh, it's 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 very heartening and it's very fun in, in the same breath, right? Because um, I get to still enjoy the 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 fruits of all your labor that you've been putting in. So, um, like, yeah, thank you so much for coming coming back. Now that you're a big shot, you've been, you know, <laughs> yeah, for not thank you for not big timing us, us Doug. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for not fake timing us. I fucking like show, but like some uh, plank or we we uh what we hate movies podcast next week. And I'm just trash talking you guys like that. Ah, <laughs> you should see these guys. Doors. They like movies. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck's up with that? 
But yeah, so let's let's start a little bit. We've talked so much Lonely Island. I apologize if some of this is repeat, but I think we should talk a little Lonely Island because uh, this this is um, a movie that's essentially in some ways telling their story, right? Because I couldn't find I, – I listened to parts of the commentary – I read a lot of research. I don't know if this is a some semblance of uh, true to life from a relationship standpoint. Uh, I could not find anything about that or if it was like, if we hadn't been as good friends, this easily what would have happened. Because if you don't know, so Lonely Island, uh, Yarma, Akiva, and Andy, uh, they they have been childhood friends. Uh, and they kind of got their first big break after doing like skits and stuff like that, uh, making a sketch show for Fox called Awesome Town, which is on YouTube. Uh, it it definitely is immediately showing their sensibility right away. Um, I remember discovering it in the early days of YouTube, uh, pre or YouTube or just uh, online video, uh, either right after Andy Sedberg ended up on Saturday Night Live, but like pre Lazy Sunday or somewhere around there. Uh, and it has some very funny stuff. They have uh, the one that still sticks with me, Peter, a song that you were just talking about recently, for <laughs> not on the show, <laughs> but uh, the what was it, the Whisper Song by the the Ying Yang Twins? Oh yeah, the Whisper Song by the Ying Yang Twins. <laughs> they do a Otherwise parody. Known as, Wait till you see my dick. They do. A, they did a parody of that on the pilot uh, with the Bing Bong Twins, and I. <laughs> It's still like I would look it up. It's still very, very funny. But they immediately kind of, um, kind of locked into a theme that was going to be consistent throughout all of their stuff, including I talked about this in the unauthorized Bash Brothers, which is like the idea of a very like raunchy, but then also like uh, raunchy humor delivered by very like goofy, affable personalities, uh, but also like thematically most of their most of their work most of their songs most of their sketches that they wrote were about two things uh, the toxicity of like masculinity and the toxicity of fame you know as they got more and more famous all three of them got hired to do saturday night live andy is a performer the other two is writers they started the digital short era which you know obviously then be kind of came a thing where they were writing songs for that and then putting out albums that reflected those songs and those albums were very successful and then i think yarma left first as a writer uh it was either yarma or akiva and then akiva left and then andy left as well and you know they were they had kept working on movies they did hot rod which i'd love to do in this podcasted other times and uh you know worked on various other ones you know i guess probably the less said about the watch the better i I was about to say Um, the watch is like objectively the worst thing they've been involved in and it's staggering oh a lonely island movie starring richard aode is that bad (laughs) i know it's yeah we talked we talked a little bit in the palm springs episode about how that guided their that guided Akiva's next career direction. He's like, I'm never doing a paycheck movie for a big studio ever again. And also um, how uh, that that is a stacked cast. Like yeah. those are all people. Oh, yeah. Like even, even even Vince Vaughn, who I like hate, like he still pulls it every so often. Like mm-hmm. recently in was it Freaky? Is that the body switch movie? Yeah. And then also. Um, and also, uh, uh, he's really good in Cell Block 99. Like, yeah. That movie has has p- politics problems, but, like, he's really good in it. Um, and, like, there was there was a capacity for a Ghostbuster, a great Ghostbusters riff in there in the watch, and it just didn't happen. 
So, but then they kind of go back to, we talked about this during uh, Palm Springs, that they, they wanted to go back and, and make movies for themselves. And, you know, Andy continues to kind of be the more famous one, which they make a lot of jokes about. Um, and then, you know, eventually uh, they, they make Popstar, which is essentially, again, the retelling of three three friends who become famous and some some jealousy directed at one of the the members and it's you know it's both kind of a retelling of their story and actually like for for a comedy that, that makes me laugh this much like i am like choked up for like the last 20 minutes of this movie at various parts like it's such a sweet movie uh at its core and then also serves as kind of a parody of both the kind the the idea of the uh, a little bit too accessible celebrity image and the toxicity of like that level of of fame, which we'll get into, but I, I, um, I do think that this, you know, in a just world, uh, one of the jokes they made when I saw them in concert was that they introduced a song from this movie, uh, and they said, of course, as everyone knows, uh, everyone's going to know the lyrics to this song because, as you know, like the movie made five billion dollars worldwide, uh, which is a funny joke at a movie that had a twenty million dollar budget and made nine million dollars somehow uh but also just stands in like you know that's kind of that's the universe that i want to live in the one where the lonely island sweet parody hilarious movie ends up becoming a huge grocer as opposed to something that now gets passed around in uh circles that we hang out in but i i was very curious about like how autobiographical some of the andy rising to fame and uh, the other two tagging along was because there definitely seems to be at least from like when they all quit Saturday Night Live some measure of that and he immediately got to do like that's my boy and like you yeah. know, not, not great movies but he immediately got to jump and do like face leading roles exactly um, yeah in a way that like the other two absolutely did not and then like you know that continued and, and he got to be on Brooklyn Nine-Nine which like We've talked a lot in the show. Like it's a it's a show I quite love, despite the fact that like it, I feel conflicted about loving a cop show in twenty twenty. And it sounds like the creators also feel very why why they quit. Yeah, they're shutting it down. Yeah, they're 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 doing something wild with the last season too, uh, because they think they're like we can't make a cop show anymore. Uh, And we talked a lot about that also in the Palm Springs episode, so we don't need to walk through it again. But like, um. There is something in the Brigsby Bear episode. There is something very heartening about the fact that they are willing to delve into sort of tough or edgelordy topics, but they do it with a sort of care and sweetness and character based stuff that like it never actually feels um, grody and it never feels yeah. progressive. Like the dick joke in this um, where Andy Samberg is essentially because of his pride um kind of gets like walked into signing a man's penis who's on his limo window like yeah that is more explicit than anything in any of the national lampoons movies like that is far more explicit the fact that he actually makes contact with a penis well he's with a marker but like the fact he actually makes contact with a penis is way more explicit um it also probably hurts this movie's chances of being on tv without being (laughs) completely chopped to shit yet it's not a scene that's homophobic or or uh uh you know gay panicky 
It's yeah. the joke of the scene is that he's so it, he's so prideful. He's willing to do something that like is objectively very fucking weird <laughs> and makes him deeply uncomfortable because he doesn't want to seem like he's above it. Um, that he's too he's above signing a penis. He's trying to prove a point to somebody who has a very he has a personal connection with. Um, and like that that's beautiful. That's something, you know, I, I do have a note about that, which we can talk about more in the movie. I do think that Lonely Island really walks a very good line of doing um, uh, riffs on homophobia or, uh, or or other things that definitely from other comedians would feel uh, regressive or offensive or whatever else you call it. But they're, they're specifically making fun of the type of people who would do like it is so clearly that they are the butt of the joke and and in that way like it's an it's always sunny in philadelphia thing where they're able to tackle and make jokes at that that's at the expense of them and in their um you know white straight privilege as opposed to uh you know marginalized people and they it feels like they were they were uh, uh, good boys, uh, all the all the way through this, without shying away from the fact that if their targets are toxic masculinity, like homophobia and uh, general insensitivity to other people that aren't uh, white, straight, cis men, um, is a is a big part of that. Yeah, and they they re- re- reiterate in this, and they're clearly also making fun of the Macklemore and Ryan Lewis song. Same. Oh man, I fucking which... love how much they hate Macklemore. <laughs> so many jokes. Big watch. Macklemore. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Like, I think the apotheosis of that is their Spring Break anthem song. Like, it's really free pop star stuff because that's a fucking great. Like, I love that it. First of all, the beat to it actually sounds like it would belong to one of those so like good. Spring Break songs. Again, they're just so yeah. good at making this shit, but like. The fact that it's the joke. Yeah, they have a good understanding of music, right? right. Like that's yeah. that's the core part of of this. But the lyrics there, like, are so clearly, as the band members themselves have said, the whole point is like to make fun of how society will tolerate and normalize toxic white male behavior. Like we, not to make this so dark, but we just saw that, that this fucking week, right? Like the someone has a bad day. That's a yeah. mass shooting, like spring break, like sexually assaulting women. That's whatever. And then we as a society are also simultaneously like, ew, gross, men getting married. Like that's the whole point of the song. And it's so yeah. beautifully rendered, complete with inexplicable Edward Norton cameo. Like what yeah. the hell? <laughs> Ed yeah. Norton. And I, one, one thing I actually love in this movie is that – okay, so really quickly. When I saw the ads for this movie, I didn't see this movie till I was um, – I saw it at home because oh, I saw really the ads missed, for this movie. You missed out on the – this was a great movie to see opening weekend, which you kind of had to because it was it's, out of the theater so quick. It's not totally my fault though because the, the, the advertising the ads are on it, I was like – I don't want to see a movie making fun of Justin Bieber. Like that's a that by the time this movie came out, it was already kind of like very much a dead thing. And it was very even the title and the and the cover are clearly riffing on the Justin Bieber documentary that had come out a long time prior. Um and I I was like, "What? Come on, guys. Like this is just like it's boring to be that specific in your targeting, I think." Um and um and generally they're actually riffing more on like Mark Wahlberg and uh him leaving the funky bunch and like they're riffing on all kind of like a lot of like musical trends and yeah. 
it, it feels more like a walk hard thing where they're like, it would be very yeah. funny to make fun of Brian Wilson for like 10 minutes. And so they make fun of Brian Wilson. For, well, not Brian yeah. Wilson. Make fun of the, the, the um, you know, the, the craziness of the Pet Sounds era. And what I love is that they actually do dance around in a way where like, you can't really assign anybody to being a direct riff on any specific person. But I do love with like, the exception one moment of when they have the Equal Rights song yeah. and they're clearly just making fun of Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. They're not making fun of anybody else. Like No, but then they make they Eminem. make fun of they make fun of him again, right? Because this was after Macklemore would go out and perform sometimes in an extremely offensive, like uh, Hasidic Jewish getup. As like a disguise yeah. and other things, and so like th- I love that there's two very specific "fuck you, Macklemore" jokes, including <laughs> what I would call the best song on the like "Equal Rights" is my favorite song on the the, the album, uh, and so I mean it's like you know there's like five other contenders, but also the way that like Sarah Silverman just berates his disguise with a bunch of like amazing singers, like that you look like <laughs> uh, Matthew Modine, you know. Uh, we got a bee sting. <laughs> um, it's like so, it's so good and so specific. You look like Nazi so propaganda. Specific. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like it's, it's so specific. Like you're right. Like there, there's a lot of fun jokes. Like the the only two I think really like. I'm directing this at individual people, and it's it has a lot of bite to it. Is the Macklemore stuff and the uh, is the name Harvey Levin, the TMZ guy. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, and that makes sense. Yeah, the CMZ. Yeah. That's a very specific target too. But that's such a that's such a like a side a side joke. Like those are just like quick little like uh like uh, beats. Um, yeah, I, I like the generally like the main characters not riffing on anyone super specific. Like they're kind of Agreed. riffing on a general milieu. I think like the best yeah. like epitome of because I think that's such a good point, Peter. I think it was a year ago. Jake Paul did some song. I don't remember what it was, but like what it was called but like it was about like kids should not like listen to their teachers it was something about like saying like rebelling oh. against teachers and everyone was like dude this is fuck off from pop star and i was laughing because it was like like you just said peter the marketing tried to say it was justin bieber but it's a testament to how good they captured like just toxic dude bro celebrities that like this appeals to mark Wahlberg. this applies to macklemore this applies to jake paul this applies to people who weren't around when pop star yeah. was out like it's eternally relevant sadly yeah, feeding off of a general trend as opposed to one specific person makes your shit universal, right? Like, um, it, it, it makes it uh, more lasting because, like, making – that is that that is the key – I mean, other than not being funny, that's the key problem with, um, like, uh, the scary movie series that came after the Seltzer and whatever the other guy's name is um, – those movies is because they were just like, we're going to riff on one specific cultural moment. Like it doesn't have anything to say about culture. It doesn't have anything to say about our our, like society in general or like there's no themes. It's just like, here is a joke about a very specific thing that everyone knows happened because mass news. Yeah. yeah, Hopefully you watch Brittany. There's a joke. I do think that if I watch one of those now or showed like, I'd be interested in the idea of showing epic movie to my kids. Like when they're eight, when she's like eight, when she's like fifteen, like old enough to get the humor, but everything is hyper specific. Did you watch movie trailers in two thousand six? Like it'll probably seem like some sort of anti comedy work of art, right? Because it'll just be like, I don't understand any of this. What the f- like this makes no sense. To, you know, you might as well. Uh, you it'll know. be Dadaist. <laughs> yeah, like, only gag that. Like, yeah, it w- 
You could show Epic Movie on Adult Swim and people would fucking probably freak out on Twitter that it resumers, right? Like, this is so weird. What is this? The only gag that would have aged well from Epic Movie is the Borat cameo. Now that's the only thing the kids these days know when Borat goes. Like, yeah, did they predict Borat? <laughs> well, they f- look, these people just watch trailers, right? So, like, I think they just watched the Borat trailer and just shoved him in there. Because, like, two months after Borat, there's the guy who voices King Julian in all the Madagascar cartoons. There he is in the Speedo. There he is. <laughs> yeah. Good job. But but it is like, uh, you know, Peter, to your point, what they're, what they're really riffing on it, and all the songs really come to this, especially as they go on the Conquest tour, is like the, um, again, the toxicity of fame and very specifically like, uh, and they do, they call this out like specifically in the movie, that uh, you can get to a point in fame where where no one can tell you when you have bad ideas and uh and what ends up happening if you're so famous that you can do whatever you want is you make an album like conquest which is like the genius of it is if it's parenting that in all these different ways right so like um obviously you listen to a song like um you know like fuck off and it's like oh he had this idea of doing this like kid empowerment anthem and then he went so far with it that like it is like almost like pornographic uh in its in its uh violent revenge fantasies of of your parents but it's still directed at kids no one had the no one was able to like rein him in from that and that's funny but then that goes to these other really specific jokes about like he decided to write a song about how when he went to a different country they said s weird and like and no one went like maybe you need something more to to make us to, to hang a song around besides just that the s sounded different to you and like but that was his third single right like yeah. that 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 kind of idea of being just completely like um you're almost in a fucking biodome when you get to a certain level of shame and the thing is most people who are and, and the, this movie goes a step further because it's in that marky mark thing is like most people who are famous have some level of like acumen to know to to make a mistake and they posit you know uh <laughs> they posit him as um someone who basically uh had talent but got to where he was due to his two friends and so left alone to his own devices every decision he makes along the way is wrong and i i have to that's so right and i have to assume also speaking of marky mark and justin bieber like I have to assume the fact that Justin Bieber was cool with the SNL people and Jimmy Fallon teasing him and the fact that Mark Wahlberg was not, but pretended to be specifically making specifically like um, uh, uh, Andy Samberg in that case, making fun of Mark Wahlberg. Um, I imagine that inspired this this movie, too, because like Andy Samberg just riffing on Mark Wahlberg one random Saturday night um, probably led to him being like. (laughs) That guy's fucking so weird. That guy is so weird. And then he was talking to his friends and like that somehow influenced this movie because there's so much. Yeah, there's so much riffing on 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 Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch and how like uh, he completely rejected um, that. Like that, like he was in, he was like a rap. It was like a rap group. Like, yeah, I guess they were fairly yeah. sizable rap group. Uh, well, I guess there is one other very specific target in this movie, like extremely specific. Bin Laden. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he was a target more of the United States government. I saw. But he is referenced. 
Uh, no, uh, Tyler, the creator. Right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought you were referring to someone that Connor was riffing off of. Um, no, yes, yes. No, Obviously, yeah. Hunter, the, Hunter the Hungry is riffing off Tyler, the creator, in Odd Future. But there's also teases about, like, Kanye and the idea of, like, these... Uh, the, the whole prank thing is clearly riffing off Odd Future. Like, Odd Future had a whole adult swim show that was about them doing pranks well but also i i do think like um like i don't think it's a mistake that even though fucking uh you know the there's hunter the hungry uh has to eat is like a banger of a song like i don't think it's on accident that it uses a hard r in 2016 right out the gate because that was very much like you know Ty- odd future and tyler the creator were like oh we aren't going to ascribe to these like they were they were almost in a weird way and not to the degree that like the manga bros and stuff were but they were they were kind of doing a very quick uh almost like younger millennial fight back against what they would deem like language cancel culture and it it came up like it was something that i think got a lot of right criticism early on and then it seems like uh i don't i don't follow tyler the creator as much i like some of his songs but it feels like igor was a good album he put that out like a year yeah yeah It, it feels like he backed off of that stuff and i i think this movie is positing that like all of that is still just an attempt to like saying words that they know are going to get people riled up kind of being an asshole you know to everyone around being known as a lunatic uh is kind of still a, a marketing gimmick that he the second he had a chance to capitalize on and in this movie like his character does yeah, and, and um, I, I feel like the Hunter the Hungry thing, like, yeah, and him hitting the, you're right, it is hitting on a very specific era of music where, like, um, they, the Odd Future guys would have, like, super sick, like, dirty beats, like, yeah. blow out your fucking subwoofer beats, um, and then uh, you'd be listening to it and you're like, this is really edgelordy, but also like yeah. he's speaking from a particular experience that's not an um, angry white dude. So like I'm listening. And then like t- the fact that Tyler also came out of the closet a few years later, thanks to the like the help of his friends and like his own journey, like it, it just got more complicated and he grew a lot over the years. Whereas like I, I'm glad that by the time, uh, yeah, like the MAGA, the MAGA bros came around, like they, nobody could claim odd future, but weirdly enough, who would have prevent, who would have predicted that in 2021 year of our Lord, that Ariel Pink would be less, less self-aware and less politically correct than, than Tyler, the creator. <laughs> Yeah, well, that I mean, I, who like, could just make right? songs that were just like this song, this word sounds like this word, and also I have old Casio keyboards. <laughs> and also, something I want to talk about really quickly, as like a generality, is like this movie burns through its runtime, eighty-seven minutes. It and there's a there's a thing about great comedy movies that great comedy movies inevitably feel slight. Yeah, because great comedy movies go down easy. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is that, like, it it is very easy, I think, for a bunch of people to watch this movie, have a great time and forget it and not actually appreciate how fucking good it was. And that's why I wanted to do it on the show, because, like, I genuinely think this and Walk Hard are, like, some of the best comedies of the past Agreed. 20 years. And while we didn't find a chance to fit Walk Hard in this month, we're definitely going to fit it. In we will, we're, de- we're definitely going to fit it in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of forgot uh, that we probably should have that would have fit very nicely into the musical motif, yeah. It really, it really would have. Next week we're, next week we're just doing a fucking normal. 
musical, so this walk hard actually would have fit the the theme way better. But you know, thanks for bringing it up. Now, Peter. <laughs> when you see my dick, <laughs> it's too quiet. Say it louder. <laughs> uh, so so one thing because like that's the thing is like when you see Wet Hot American Summer or you see Anchorman like these like 90-ish minute comedies that like are um, just wall-to-wall funny and they uh, fully satisfy what you're coming in and expecting right like I want to feel in a better mood when this is over and I want to see a bunch of like either I want to be introduced to a bunch of comedic actors that I'm going to look out for in future movies or I'm going to uh, see a bunch of people and I'm like, oh my God, they're so fucking funny on SNL or in the sitcom or whatever. Like y- y- you satisfy all of that with these movies. But the thing is like, you can watch this movie and in, in particularly Wet Hot American Summer. Like I could watch these oh, back to back yeah, and and not feel a moment of, of, of drag. Um, and that's one of the things that sucks is if you make a perfect comedy, a perfect light, loose comedy, like... People are going to think it's too slight. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's one of the things that Judd Apatow, who uh, cameos in this movie, uh, excuse me, Judd Apatow cameos in this movie from the waist down. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do we, you both know the penis that's his in dick, the limousine yeah. is his dick. Um, he tells a very funny story uh, about how like he thought it would be like, well, I just walk up to the frame and then I put my dick up to a limousine and you know, it's just, it's just a, a, a sight gag. Like what, how, how long is it going to take? And it took them forever. Cause it was like a crowd scene. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, uh, Judd Apatow had this like awful uh, inclination to stretch stretch his comedies out, and then Adam McKay picked up on that, and it was like these movies that could have been light and limber and could be a movie you rewatch like twice a year, all of a sudden become these like cumbersome objects. Like I really like a lot of the other guys, but that is like a movie that's just like cumbersome. It's just like way yeah. down and yeah. like, there's no like, sense did, of pacing. Did you need the, I used to be a pimp in college subplot. That's 20 minutes. You can cut out right there. And that's yeah. Another movie. But I, I do think the last, uh, sorry, Doug, I will say though, this is one of the few movies in, in that I actually think, could be longer and i wish they would have just included more songs i was actually gonna say the same thing <laughs> i was just gonna say damn it sorry i was no i was literally just gonna be like dude i love that they wanted to go for pacing but the full fuck off song should have just been in here like they should have either done the, like, so many of those like uh i'm a weirdo yeah. is hilarious i think even even the um ibatha ibatha i don't know how he pronounces it i know it's wrong um like that that should have been a full song um the f- and, and even like the other stuff that's not like I they should have done the full equal rights they should have done the the full I'm so hung uh, I'm so humble like getting getting the songs out of there when they're when they're fucking lonely island p- crowd pleasing songs and like cutting them short so they're under a minute is a mistake I I don't know if it's a mistake I really like how limber well, the movie I know is, it is and then we get to pop we got to pop in and we get to taste like the hook of the song or like the key joke of the song but like and and then get out like i don't know if i need i don't know if i need this to feel like a full-blooded musical where like we see every single song performed to its maximum like I don't, well but I don't here's know if it's a mistake like i kind of like being able to pop in and then if i want more i can use the album as an as an appendix well so here's where i think you're you're wrong uh- <laughs> I understand that you want more of a good thing, but I'm saying no. But I, no, no, no. I have, a, I have a better reason than that. I think that like what they were really good at is is selling their songs and doing a two and a half minute 
joke video around it. And I think cutting the 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 best part of Lonely Island, even though I love this movie and I love a bunch of their movies, you know, I think their music is one of the like it, you know, there's just no one else doing uh, music like this. A comedic music like this i think cutting like um the equal rights thing to a minute when the whole two minute video is hilarious and they've honed that skill of making a two minute video hilarious down to an art form that everyone has tried to copy and no one has perfected as well as them i think that's just a, a mistake like they already had that down they, they didn't need to shorten their stuff like all of jizz in my pants is funny they shouldn't have they shouldn't have don't cut down jizz in your pants by a verse because uh that's some of the funniest parts of it and that goes to all the songs that they cut in this movie or are slimmed down too yeah i I just don't i just don't buy it like i i really like i really like that they're telling connor's story and that's front and foremost and so they're using like the central what each song says about connor uh, as as like the thematic thematic resonance and then they get out of there like i i i I think that I think that comedy movies should always leave you wanting more. Like, obviously, Anchorman one is better better written than Anchorman two, but like, Anchorman two being like a over two hour movie and just stretching your patience and including all these extra plot lines, and you're you're like, would I have enjoyed this at eighty five minutes? Like, if, if you beg, the yeah. Question, I mean, I'm not I'm like, not saying take it from eighty seven minutes to Anchorman two length. I'm saying take it from eighty seven minutes to 90, 94 minutes. And I will. I'm say not this, saying Peter. that either. I'm not saying that either. I'm saying I'm I'm saying that the that like there is like there there is an added there is a, a hidden cost to taking everything to its maximalist effort because like it detracts from what the movie is about and eventually the movie becomes it being about nothing and then it's just like a collection of songs yeah i mean i i think you're right in the fact that um that movie that you're describing made nine million dollars at the box office maybe mine would have made ten who, who knows <laughs> the sky i'm just saying what How financially is this, though this I is know, like so this sad. is a movie for pretty much everybody this right? is mcgruber like mcgruber too like i can't think of a movie that I was more excited about than this movie in the last 10 years. Like, I had the soundtrack before it came out. I was listening to it. I remember driving to the theater. I was back home visiting my family with, like, three of my brothers blaring the soundtrack. Like, I was like a little kid who, like, fucking bought the novelization before it came out because I was so excited to see what happened in Jurassic (laughs) Park, right? Like, I was little kid pumped about this movie. I was so excited. And it is a bummer that no one cared about it. It's weird, too, because, like, MacGruber... At least you could say, like, okay, maybe it was weird to try to market it. Like, in, in like, condensing the down. They both have a marketing problem. You're, you're yeah. Right. yeah, like, in a three-second ad, I think MacGruber probably did look like, what? Like, you, it doesn't quite get across the fact that if you know it's, it's a, a MacGyver riff? Yeah, like, is it a MacGyver what? riff? Like, yeah. what the hell is this? Like, in a movie, you get, like, oh, it's an 80s action movies thing. Got it. Like, y- yeah. you're into that. But, like, yeah, in a 15-second ad, it's like, what's going on? Popstar, I think, kind of had a similar problem, but I'm still shocked it didn't do better because at that point, I feel like the Lonely Island had more of a fan base. You know, like they'd established themselves for over a decade. Like people weren't down. Yeah, to Brooklyn Nine Nine's on the air. Yeah. It's doing well. Like, 
How how did like movies? You can release a pile of garbage into theaters, and if you release it in three thousand or twenty five hundred theaters, it's gonna make thirty million dollars. How did like it feels like people consciously made a decision to not see it to get this wide of a release with this big of stars down to a nine million dollar box office gross. It also has to be said that like this was from Universal, the only studio in the last five years that seems to know how to make comedies like work theatrically marketing yeah. yeah like every other studio is like just swimming in the drain and meanwhile universal will release like good boys and night school and they're actual hits like it's 1992 again you know like so it's yeah. weird yeah good boys made a hundred million dollars yeah good boys was like and <laughs> was number one the first time about an already yeah. comedy in three and a half years so, like something went it wrong made here. yeah made like four or five times what um book smart made which i remember yeah. being like why yeah <laughs> which again is like it, a lot of this unfortunately comes down to just studios and marketing right like annapurna and its small team versus universal like having nbc to just shove good boys at you <laughs> but like yeah popstar was weird because they even marketed it i remember the voice had it on the season finale they did it so, so humble so it's weird i so i saw that clip i didn't i haven't watched the voice but i did go and watch that clip and then i checked the date of when that aired because Andy Saver looks looks very sad in that. Oh. It just felt off to me. No, I, I'm I'm not saying this to like be be a be a hunter the hungry edge lord. Um, I he did he like something felt off about that performance because I was looking at video clips and like did they perform this live and you know they did finest finest girl on Saturday Night Live and stuff like that. And then I go and I look that that voice thing that they do is the week after it comes out. Interesting. So it must have been one of those things where, like, they're doing it, but it has, like, a $4 million box office premiere. It's, like, number seventh or eighth of the box office. And I'm sure it was, like, why am I even going in? Like, he was, like, at that moment, he probably was Connor for real, like, going out and saying, oh, why is there, why is there not people in the balcony? Like, I'm sure it felt superfluous at that point to go do this fucking a voice cameo with to, to sing the song because no one was seeing his movie. Yeah. And I'm sure it was personal. Like how could, how could like the story of the three of them, how could this not feel somewhat personal? It, it, it is, it is one of those things where you, you question like, Oh, why didn't people show up? Why didn't people show up? Um, but like, honestly, this is the sort of movie where if it got a cult following later, like the, the guys could probably pat themselves on the back and be like, that's fine. That's fine. Um, but like I'm not seeing the cult on the level that it should no. be. Whereas like so many I, of these movies, I think MacGruber like, has a bigger cult. Like right? they have like yeah. amazingly funny people. Like Chelsea Peretti and Eric Andre are in the movie for literally 35 seconds. Yeah, and um, and like they didn't need to be those. It could have been any any fucking like any any one of Scott Ackerman's friends or any like IO comedians or UCB comedians that like happen to be hitting particularly hard. But it is them, and there's so many. It's so common now for these comedy movies to be overstuffed like that. But mm. it's not common for the movie to actually be this fucking funny. And like yeah. the proof is in the pudding. Like the 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 movie is. I've seen it a bunch of times now and every time I'm laughing, laughing and like, yeah, I think, I think Douglas, I think we're, we're probably on the same page. Like, I just think like the movie is just someone to MacGyver. It's just not that appealing in terms of a marketing effort, like <laughs> just conceptually not that appealing as a marketing effort. I know it'll sound like a joke, but I also think in terms of the cult, like why doesn't have a bigger cult following? I think that got a little hindered by the pandemic because 
in the at the end of 2019, Universal announced they were going to start doing pop star sing along screenings with Almo Drafthouse, and oh, and they and they actually sold the first initial wave sold out pretty well. It wasn't like they had to you know the biggest screens ever, but some of them sold out. They were pretty well received, and they, they mentioned in the press release like we're going to bring this to other cities and maybe even other theater chains throughout 2020. What happens in 2020? Theaters close, and so they lose a big chance to do the stuff to make a cult following. You need to have those packed screenings, right? Those memorable events where you share the laughs with other people, of course, like Rocky Horror. Even MacGruber has had those like revival screenings. So I do think that genuinely has had a big impact too. Like the attempt to make it a cult movie, right? Like take it to that next level got disrupted once the pandemic hit and they couldn't do those screenings. Maybe once it's over, this could be the perfect, like, let's go back, right? Once we're all vaccinated. But, uh, and I, and I bet they would have done even better if the songs that they were going to do a sing-along for would have been longer. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron's thesis is uh, would, coming back. Uh, do you guys want to talk to, talk about, do you, do you guys want to, guys, <laughs> it started what is as that? a joke. What is happening? <laughs> it started <laughs> is, as a joke. Is, is and it then a I was joke? Like, Wait, hold on. I genuinely don't know English right now. Uh, do you guys want to talk about? Pop star never stop stopping. I want to never stop no, talking. The, hold on, it's never, it's never stop, never stopping. Sure. No, not sure. <laughs> it it's the title. All right, you do it. Don't you sure do me on the in. title. Just do the, do the, do the, do the, the, the title, and then I'll cut yours in. No, I think I'm editing this one. I'm gonna leave it all in. Oh, sure. I'm, I'm personally ready to talk about pop star, the secret of the ooze. Like, let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> Go ninja, go ninja, go. <laughs> go Connor, go Connor, go. Finest girl I ever met in my whole life. Wanna take a home make from my wife. Knew she was a freak when she started talking. She said, fuck me like we fucked been lying. That girl was a freak. She said she wanted me to fuck her. Girl kept up on current events from all around the world. More specifically, one event. The time Osama bin Laden got shot in the head. She said, Do me like that, but I couldn't track the metaphor. That said, I can see you horny like a stegosaur. That said, again, your request is so irregular. She put on a beard, I started looking at the exit door. Then a turban, then a tunic. She said, Invade my cave with your special unit. I said, He wasn't in a cave, but there was no stopping. She demanded that I fuck her like we fuck bin Laden. Aaron, give us a ultimate. Yeah, I mean, we could just get the right subtitle, which is Never Stop, Never Stopping. Oh, came back from the break, continuing the feud. Um, so annoying. It'll never end. I know. Uh, based on the reaction in the room, uh, the joke was bad. <laughs> That's I'm going to say. Silence and anger. Uh, no, uh, uh, Popstar, uh, not the Aaron Carter one that weirdly Wikipedia suggested first. Yeah, there... <laughs> The, the term pop star pops up a few times in Letterboxd uh, in a way that I was like, how how dare you? You know what I mean. It was weird that I, I mean, I, I don't mean this joke. I typed in, you know, pop star into my phone to do our normal research, which is read the Wikipedia entry. And uh, it I click the first Wikipedia one and it takes me to the 2005 straight to video Aaron Carter movie. And then it says, if you want pop star, never stop, never stopping, click 
this link. And it, it does concern me that Popstar was is so was so unsuccessful that by whatever metrics they judge it by, Wikipedia assumes you mean the Aaron Carter straight to DVD 2005. Have movie. enough people irony watched the Aaron Carter movie that it's it's actually been seen more than the pop star? I, yeah, I don't know. And also, I mean, I like Google has everything that I search for and all my data. And it still was like probably the Aaron Carter one. <laughs> like i i've literally never googled aaron carter i assure you i didn't have a computer when aaron carter was relevant to me <laughs> yeah i mean you don't mean this this movie right uh, <laughs> sad uh peter what happens in this movie yes uh so pop star is about uh a a uh starts with uh the story of connor for real um, who's a musician dash rapper who is in this group called the Style Boys um, with his friends Owen and Lawrence. Um, because of Connor's outsized ego and control issues and yada yada um, and just being a dick, um, the group fell apart. Lawrence went and lived out in uh, the um, out in, like the Colorado wilderness, it seems like. And then um, Owen um, stayed with with Connor, even though Connor started touring under Connor for real um as his dj and throughout the movie uh gradually gets more and more sidelined to the point that he uh is is doing nothing but playing an ipod um so this is a music documentary it's riffing on it's riffing on the justin bieber documentary a little bit but it's not kind concert of. film um it's riffing on uh general sort of uh vh1 back to the music sort of style like um uh artist spirals down to complete oblivion and then finds out that they need <laughs> yeah. to humble themselves in order to pick themselves back up. It, um, it kind of, from positive reviews, they kind of called it that this is Spinal Tap for the YouTube generation. Yeah. Which I think I is think, actually apt. Yeah. I mean, it also has a, it has a walk hard quality too, where, um, you know, it's, it's about Connor's just fucking ego, absolutely destroying uh, the people that he claims to love uh, to the point that, um, some of those relationships are destroyed, and but uh, this has a very optimistic, happy ending, so let me get there. Um, uh, Connor uh, is releasing an album called Conquest, and he's about to go on tour for it. However, uh, this is an album that he has stripped out one of his pieces of talent. He is he's no longer taking any beats or anything from Owen. <laughs> he, yeah. Owen literally just plays an iPod DJ. There are 100 producers on the album. Um he uh, is is completely in his stupid bubble of yes men that he doesn't have anybody to tell him no. Um, so this produces a very shitty album in a way that like all of us can relate to. Like Madonna puts out one of these albums every few years. Um, <laughs> yeah. Every every major pop artist eventually puts out one of these albums where you're just like, so you had a lot of money. <laughs> Jay-Z put out his last couple rap albums have been nothing but this. Like, so you have a lot of money. You spent all your time in your mansion. And then you decided uh, that you wanted to come and speak to us, to the common people for a little bit to make more money and, and stay relevant. Um, the tour sells tickets, but it doesn't sell on the level that his previous tours have. The album itself sells like garbage. Um and it's sort of a talking head documentary at times, um, because it both has like backstage access. But not, like, not a talking head documentary. It's not a talking head documentary. No one gets that taken is... to the river. No. Yeah. <laughs> or dropped. And nobody in the puts water. them in the water. Nobody. No, Disappointing. It's... 
Well, that's in the post credits scene. <laughs> yeah. I would say, though, for a talking head documentary, this is great. But for a talking head documentary, none of my favorite songs were included. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's, it's so true that this doesn't include Road to Nowhere or anything similar. Um, but the uh, Connor is on a Road to Nowhere. Um, <laughs> Come on, and right. Continually break bridges. Hold break. on. Can we do prizes for the best transition we've ever done? <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> that was really good, Peter. Thank you. I'm glad we've stepped up to recognizing there's listeners that that want to be brought along to <laughs> to get from the beginning to the end at some point in our run. Recognizing that uh, I can't just read the Wikipedia page and have that yeah. be content. Um, Not yet. So uh, what they need to do to supplement the sort of uh, viewership on this tour to sell more tickets is they bring on sort of like a hot young like a hot young up-and-coming artist to help supplement things which is something that like happens a lot like you see older older bands like all of a sudden like Aaron did you see Pixies were had toured with the I'm trying to remember where the Pixies uh, had some younger band touring with them that were like kind of like the Pixies but from so like the, the I, I do I do have a problem with the way you're framing this because it implies the Pixies are washed up because that's no no but like well they uh, yeah, no yeah, I they saw them once with uh, I saw them once with Best Coast oh yeah and that 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 kind of makes sense like they're speaking the pixies has more of like a gen x approach and, and uh best coast has uh younger uh, more appeal it appeals to more like <clears throat> indie rock kids and teenagers and shit so it, yeah so this, this it's, a, it's a common sort of thing um for tours like you know you, you bring in something that someone can, that can bring in younger people and people are actually super fucking pumped about because they're the young new young hot thing and they're having their 15 minutes so they bring in this guy hunter the hungry who we talked about earlier he's sort of the odd future tyler the creator kind of riff um super into pranks <clears throat> he's also super ambitious and is trying to destroy uh connor or at least put him out of his, his misery um and uh so hunter starts pulling pranks on connor connor is sort of spiraling in this like uh, uh scandal spiral you know like where one scandal begets another scandal a sort of thing that like we recognize is it, 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 like in like the a britney spears story right like the pressure of trying to avoid another scandal causes another scandal because people start <laughs> acting erratically. Um, and obviously the Britney Spears thing is very complicated, but you know what I mean? Like she was under an immense amount of pressure to not have another scandal. And that caused her to act erratically because she was going fucking crazy. Which Everyone's watching. Don't, yeah. don't do anything weird. Everyone's watching though, but every, yeah, it's like, not fair. everyone's watching. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not fair. Right. Um, so, uh, so Connor begins to spiral to the point that um, his manager, he has to fire his manager um, and he, uh, the tour, I believe gets canceled. Um, the yeah. conquest tour. Um, and he, uh, his uh, girlfriend leaves him after a wolf attack and date seal. Um, we'll talk about that. <laughs> but um, his, uh, he, he's, he's reaching rock bottom and he, uh, goes back home and just drinks himself into a stupor as is like pretty common as a second act nadir in these kind of movies. Um, but, and, but what's not common is, uh, the other thing he gets super into. Dressage and horse Oh, dressage. <laughs> it's like fancy That's horse such, dancing. I mean, that is like, I know we're not going to just list every great joke or sight gag or thing that they do. 
But one of the reasons that Lonely Island is so good is the way they find these hyper-specific things and then just keep building on them. So, like, he gets super into dressage, but then he gets into drawing horses. And then you see a bunch of drawings of those horses that actually get progressively worse. And then him lament that he can't draw hooves. And then you start seeing close-up drawings of just the face. It's like, it's 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 a joke that, like, their genius, really, in that kind of stuff is like... Let's take something that's not funny, and the more that we focus on it, the funnier it gets to the point that it circles around and becomes funnier all the way through. Like, it's so good. It's so goddamn good. Yeah, I, I love it. It's such a it's such a hyper-specific reference, and it's also funny because he doesn't seem to understand it at all, but is apparently watching hours and hours of it and one drawing horses and selling them for like 10 bucks a pop on eBay. <laughs> which is uh, also fu- something the- we recognize in like yeah. kanye and stuff right yeah like, we recognize in these artists that like all of a sudden they're like you definitely want to buy my the hundred dollar t-shirt. t-shirt right yeah yeah like you definitely want to buy this and this and this from me um and like you know if it's if it's a yeezy situation yeah but if it's a uh ringo star selling his hideous art on the internet you're like <laughs> you paid what for that for this weird, like, Lisa Frank on bad acid trip? Uh, I do think that, that there is a brilliance to him lamenting. First first recognizing that he wants to show the documentary crew that's still following him his horse drawing. And then being embarrassed <laughs> that he can't... But then being immediately being embarrassed that he can't draw hooves. And so, like, calling it out is like he knows he needs to work on it. And then the next drawing being just the horse's face... But still not feeling all that confident with it. So he says, if you saw the horse this was based on, you would say this looks exactly like it. <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. It's so, so good. good. And, and yeah, so he's uh, he's at rock bottom. And his manager, Sarah Silverman, uh, comes to kind of uh, shake some sense in him because, you know, she still needs to make money on it. It's very and- like... The fact that the manager is so, like, supportive of them as people and sweet is, uh, again, something I really like about this movie, because normally that that is never the case in these movies. Because getting dropped by your manager is, like, part of all of these movies, right? Like, oh, man, you're you're not selling out tours? Well, I've got, you know, ten other artists that will. Um, but, yeah, so she uh, she says, you know, let's go to a show. Let's cheer you up. And he goes and disguise uh which is described by sarah silverman as a <laughs> nazi propaganda <laughs> nazi propaganda because he's got huge nose and chin and what's the hair. what's the line she says with jason siegel she makes some reference to jason siegel oh no that's uh owen he's like you look like you know jason siegel and then and he, he starts doing the jason siegel like, face yeah he does a little face Oh yeah, I guess I do like at this, and then he does like the "How I Met Your Mother." Allison Hannigan just yelled at me face. Yeah, it's it's so good. Um, and it's you know what it actually reminded me of Aaron specifically. Um, it reminded me of if when Juji Ito is trying to it, oh, yeah. is trying to introduce like a nerd character. Yep. You're just like I'm gonna make all of his care his characteristics physical characteristics disgusting. Yeah, uh, it's also like he also just got bit by some random. Thing that's about to make him uh, burst in the next scene. So he's starting to get weirdly uh, random parts of the body are getting engorged. Uh, but yeah, again, we, we said earlier, I'll just enforce it. Uh, Macklemore did this and uh, <laughs> that is what they're making fun of. 
Yeah, it seems like super out of left field until you re- remember that Macklemore did it. Um, and like the first time I saw it, I don't think I knew what they were referencing. I just thought it was like something fucking ins- like it's something a rich person like a, that would have like a makeup staff would do. Like I want to be with the common people. Um, but then you remember like Macklemore did this to go on stage. Uh, well, but yeah, that idea of like I'm gonna be anonymous by also sticking out in a different weird way because I look like I've had a terrible allergic reaction to shellfish. It's so good. So the show they're going to is Owen's DJ set. And what they realize and what he realizes for the first time that we've seen in the movie is that like Owen's a very talented DJ and he hasn't been using his skills for a long time. Uh, Connor hasn't been using his skills for a long time. He hasn't been actually working with him. He's just been like, you know, he's just like a fucking member of the entourage. Yeah. That's a uh, joke, right? He just plays the iPod because they're not his beats, so he doesn't get to make them on stage. Yeah, yeah. And, like, you you see Owen is actually, like, pulling, like, doing piano beats and, like, riffing on stuff. And then there's a part he has to sing, and he's just, like, shrill and awful. Um, and, uh, and, and and Connor's like, okay, so, like, he's really there, but, like, we I can see something. And he goes and he compliments Owen, and they reunite. And that's, again, uh, just in case we can go back to it, that's a very specific Lonely Island thing, right? Like, that... That Yarma has always been kind of the weakest from a rap singing perspective. It's why, like, they made a big joke out of it. And I am on a boat where he has to sit in the dunce camp. Uh, and they do that on tour, too. Like, he does, he just isn't on stage as much because he's, you know, Andy Samberg is clearly a very talented uh, lyricist and rapper. Um, and, uh, and Akiva is no slouch. Like, he's, he's really good at being like the, the ad rock. I'm going to scream a little more, but it's, you know, it's still going to be really good. And, you know, Yarma does a very good job, uh, with, but, but it's clearly like, it's just, it's not something he's strong at generally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, so they're, they're, uh, they're reuniting the band. So what they do is, um, Lawrence has, uh, Lawrence has been living at his his farm uh, doing these like awful carvings, like similarly floundering because he's like avoiding what he's actually good at. Right. And they go and Connor and Lawrence have to like make up. Um, and eventually, like Connor has been so humbled that he's willing to apologize uh, and they make up um, in a very sweet sort of turn. And then they get super baked because they find out it's a it's a <laughs> Lawrence has actually just been running a weed farm. Like he hasn't been sitting out in the middle of nowhere carving shit all day. He's he's been doing that and running a successful yeah. weed farm. Yeah. Um, which is a funny turn because like that's like also like fucking pe- people were making fun of Seth Rogen for doing all this like businessy shit and like starting to like brand himself more and then like he he announced 6 months ago he was like oh, I'm starting a pot thing? brand. Yeah. Um, and he started, yeah, and then people were like, why is, why is he becoming obsessed with making ashtrays and stuff? And then you find out, like, he's like, oh, yeah, the, the weed brand is ready. Um, though I think, uh, Seth Rogen's, uh, <laughs> clay work is actually really impressive looking, unlike Lawrence's carving work. But anyways, yeah. but it's just one of those things, like, when artists are, like, d- digging into stuff that's clearly not their art, everyone's just like, what are you doing, dude? And, uh, yeah, so they get super baked, and they, like, collaborate on a song, and they goof around like they're kids again, like, in a way that I think is very sweet. Like, Douglas, do you have any people from, like, you're, so, Douglas, you're in your mid-20s. Like, do you have any people that, like, you when you hang out with them, like, maybe cousins or old friends, like, you feel like you're 12 again or 13 again? Well... Peter, I gotta be honest with you, I haven't had much human interaction last year. So it's a little hard to remember these things, but in the olden days I <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I, I hard question. I certainly have a few, sure. 
it's a it's a weird thing where you're like you're like oh I'm gonna go see my friend normal <laughs> normal Douglas normal Douglas normal Douglas normal Pete normal Pete normal Pete and then you see that friend that knew you when you were a kid you know when you were 13 and all of a sudden you like are making dumb fart jokes and like cracking up over absolutely nothing like that that this 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 uh, reunion has that beautiful energy where you're you're just like. No, I'm just going to come over and like we'll drink some coffee and hang out and then it's 5 a.m. and you've like broken out their like old keyboard because you're like trying to recreate the stupid song you made when you were in high school or like you're trying to mix fake blood in their kitchen at 2 a.m. Like, yeah, it's just like it's 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 a specific energy that I think is hard to capture that like beautiful reunion energy where like you get to become like a vulnerable version of you. You're like laughing and giggling. You're not worried about anything. I, I also think like. Peter and Doug, I don't know if you guys experienced this. I feel like distance produces animosity with people that you love in general. Um, and, and maybe like there's just like a weird like all of a sudden when you're back together, that thing where you guys were a little bit annoyed that became a bigger thing about like who is who is giving more to your parents Christmas present or who decided to not. All of a sudden it's like. Oh, none of that matters. Let's hang out and have a lot of fun. And you and you are little kids again. You can focus on the fun stuff. You're you're yeah. able to live in that moment, and the greater context just sort of melts away. And that's a lovely feeling. It's 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 just like a it's a it's a it's a endorphin shotgun blast because like you you, it's just strange to 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 be known. Um, and there's something very weird about like the fact that like my wife knows me pretty well. She's seen me and my very good points and my very bad points. Like she's, she knows me very oh, well. Oh, weird! My but my like, wife's only see me at my good points. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing it wrong, Pete. But there is something that, like she'll never know what I was like when I was like 13 because I was like a fairly developed human being by the time she met me. She had the yeah. she had the, the strict uh, benefit of getting to know me uh, when I wasn't a total fucking disaster and was just like a low key. Um, bumper car disaster um and like it's just it's there's there's just something like totally different about like friends you make at one point in your life versus friends that like you've known for for forever even if those people aren't the aren't awesome friends like yeah like obviously like ryan's been on the show i've known him since i was a fucking like a three foot tall like i've known him since for forever um but like he's a great friend but like i have other friends that, like we reunite and like they're not necessarily great friends like they can't be counted on in times of crisis or whatever but like there's just there's that thing about like just being known um by the people that used to know you and i feel like the end of this movie like i, I maybe this is partially what aaron was referring to and aaron i don't want to speak for you but when you said like this last stretch of the movie where they reunite and they go oh to the, yeah the poppy I mean, awards and they're just like it's a beautiful exuberant very it's a very classical music ending everybody comes together they figured their shit out and now we get to have a final musical celebration of our friendship um where nobody is is made to feel lesser like is that is that why like no in your I own mean, words I, why why does the ending make you feel the way it makes it's you not just the ending I think I, you know, I, I, I think just when they go to the farm and, um, you know, and they, you know, and Akiva, uh, steps in to, to hug Andy, um, after it feels like, is he going to punch me? I, you know, I had this long apology, a very funny apology that starts with a, with a bullshit apology before he finally admits, you know, that, uh, he literally, uh, fucked him over completely and stuff like that, because there's a debate about who wrote the catchphrase verse. And he's like, I, you know, I, 
yeah, I should have given you some credit because you were there. And then by the end of it, he's like, I wasn't even there that day when you wrote that. But also, who cares? The only person that would care about who wrote a song is you. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I didn't need that. You needed that. And then, then Akiva, like, steps in to hug him. Um, and, like, I, from there on out, like, yeah, them, like, having this big moment when, I mean, you know at the end of the movie that, like, Connor's not going to choose to promote his own single. He's going to let the Styles boys go on. But I, I do think when he starts his finest girl song and then goes, I'm a style boy for life, and they all get to do it, like, I, the thing we talk about on the show a lot, like, the thing that tends to make me choke up more than anything is just people being decent to each other at a time when people need people to be decent to each other. So even though, like, Incredible Thoughts is funny, I love the part about Lawrence, who's a key I keep uh, switching their names around, uh, suddenly making out with the stagehand. Like, there's a lot of really funny parts, but I do think that the, you know, three lifelong friends that have known each other and might as well have been brothers, like, mending uh, friendship in this, like, spectacular moment is is enough to get me somewhat choked up like i'm not it's not it's a it's not it's a wonderful life or inside out where i'm fucking bowling my eyes out by the end but like if you know i get chills i laugh and i get a little choked up there's something very pure about the film's depiction of victory at the end it's devoid of like cynicism like when titus gets to go up there as the fish like there's a joke obviously with the fish but the fact timberlake's actually maybe his best acting outside of the social network just in that little it's me that like very gleeful like <laughs> it was Titus yeah. it's just there's not a there's not an ounce of cynicism there they're not making fun of this guy for being excited they want you no. to be as excited as Titus they want you to be as excited as uh, Tim Meadows when he gets to finally do his little saxophone solo during the oh, yeah. climax like everybody gets a little moment it's all like I love movies and Muppet movies do this too weirdly enough as another comparison where like it's so goofy. It's also silly. And then they pull the rug out from under you at the end by making you realize you got to invest in these characters in a good way. Yeah. Like yeah. you – we almost it's like they tricked you in the best way possible. You got invested in such goofiness. And they're right in both cases. Like I got invested in Connor for real. God damn it. I got invested in these goofballs. <laughs> I love it. I want this – I want this lo- – this guy's obviously like a dummy. But I want this dummy to figure out that they're – it doesn't have to be this way. He doesn't have to chase mediocrity and fame in this capacity forever. Like he could be so much happier if if he had uh, people to share the journey with. Well, and I love that joke near the end where like he's he's reading a book, how to be a better friend. <laughs> it's, such... it's so adorably stupid, right? Like everything he has to do is so basic. I'm just glad he can read. Like and he says, because I was, because I was like, he's like, he's like, because I was like. So that's yeah, that's great to see. <laughs> yeah, he's not saying it as an insult, which is like no, it makes it so much funnier. Like that is that is actually what we talked about in Briggsby Bear, Briggsby Bear, which is produced by this group. Yes, they're making fun of Connor slightly, but like it's so surrounded in sweetness, but not saccharine sweetness that it it feels very lovely. Like. Like he's like, I'm just happy he can read. Like he's clear, yeah. he's clear, oh, like, good. Owen is clearly aware <laughs> that'll of be like, good. Okay, for they're him. all dumb. They're all yeah. dumb. But they but they clearly have uh all uh, also like all gathered intelligence from in different capacities in different methods and have gathered talents in different capacities in different ways. And he's like, <laughs> he's, I'm not. He, it's not just that he's heartened that he was trying and he was reading a book to try and figure out how to apologize to his friend. Like that's very sweet. But he's like. 
he's genuinely like, like he's genuinely like heartened. Like he's like, huh? I didn't know that he was capable of that. Uh, one of the things though that I like, my favorite line of finest girl, and I think this relates to him kind of being the dummy of the group. I one of my favorite jokes that will usually work for me is when someone who's quote-unquote the movie's dummy knows a bunch of hyper-specific information. Yes. And I love when he corrects the girl that Osama bin Laden was not in a cave when they killed him. But there was no stopping. Yeah. I said he wasn't in a cave. Like, the fact that Connor for real, his lifelong friends aren't sure if he could read, but he also knows that that Osama bin Laden was in a compound and not a cave. (laughs) And he might have just seen seen Zero Dark Thirty, right? Like, it's not that he necessarily has, like, read a book on a plane. He might have just seen a movie. I mean, the person that wanted to fuck him, though, probably if if she was so into Osama bin Laden fetishization that she didn't know that he wasn't in a cave, that seems suspicious, though. But Connor for real knew it. That song is just so wonderfully surreal, let's, and I fucking love it so much. Let's talk about the songs a little bit before we get into the rest of the movie, because I love the soundtrack. Finest Girl's great. I mean, um, I think, like, the, the, the way Lonely Island has been so good at making music is like obviously they're not they they don't have an owen right they're not producing their beats but they they've said interviews like we spend the same amount of money as rihanna and pink and you know all these people that are getting these beats produced for them and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars they're like we pay those people to make our songs and then we you know come up with the theme and the the lyrics and kind of how we want the song to flow. And like, that is why they've been so successful. Like, even if you listen to like Incredibad and then later on where Incredibad's a little bit more homegrown, like production, um, you can just see like, Oh, the reason I just had sex is such a fucking good song. Is that the same people that are making Akon actual Akon songs made that song and that's something that's like very hard to do with parody because you have to have a element of success like when you're talking about parroting like the kind of producers that spend you know they get paid a million dollars per beat for a song like you have to be at a certain level of success and them you know having basically you know saturday night live behind them and you know a, a music uh record deal and stuff like that to kind of pay for all that stuff made their like parody levels uh so much more um appropriate of the road but like it actually actually hits its target by making by making the good version of it that was easier in the spinal tap era right where you just were like if we can play guitar and write heavy metal songs we can write a parody song that's pretty close to that and so like when you hear a big bottom song or um not big yeah big bottom right that's yeah that's a spinal tap song mm-hmm. i almost big tricked myself bottom. into wondering yeah i almost tricked myself into thinking it was a queen song but that's a different one um uh, like that sounds enough like the the also ran '80s heavy metal bands. You but you could just write those songs. You can't just go and produce a catchy uh, beat that's going to be guaranteed to be number one on the charts. And the fact that they had the access to that really and finest girl and a lot of songs like I'm so humble really really hits home. And like if if an if a i don't want to say actual singer but like if an actual artist who isn't doing parody had taken those beats they probably would have had 
bigger hit songs than Lonely Island. Yeah, yeah, like there's something there's something that I think that probably speaks to what we were talking about uh, in the first half of the episode, which was like, why did this not hit? And like people not taking comedy seriously is probably part of the story. What what's uh I, I mentioned my favorite song is Equal Rights and uh I think my, my runner ups would probably be Finest Girl and maybe Fuck Off. Just because Fuck Off is one of those songs that if I had heard it from a real band at age ten, I probably would have thought it was the greatest song. Like I, and I think that's why the parody works so well. Like it's clearly too far, but it's the kind of too far that a twelve year old who's angry at their parents would have fucking loved. Teenagers do not understand uh, uh, subtlety. Um, no, I mean I still don't understand subtlety, but I know teenagers don't. Um, so what, what's some of your favorite songs? Uh, I mean, I, this is this is an obvious pick, but like "So Humble" is featured so heavily because it's uh, like a. It is it is like a banger. Like the beat yeah. is actually really strong. Like there's a reason that it features so heavily so early on. It's also it's kind of interesting. This marks the first good song that Adam Levine has been in. Yes, objectively. Yeah, it's, it's, he's finally made one good song. It happens to that's be not true. He's in the other Lonely Island song where uh, I ran so far away. That's good too. <laughs> so he's he's, he's he's zero for zero in Maroon Five. Zero for two zero for as Adam Levine. Yeah, <laughs> he's been mar- he's been. I like marooned. that we said zero for zero. Like we're not even counting them as attempts. <laughs> Half, most of them don't feel like actual songs. They feel like they're like some asshole. In a, some asshole robot in a lab wrote a chorus, and then he sings the chorus seventeen times, and then he gets out of there. Moves like Jagger. What does that even mean, Mister Robot Man? Just <laughs> sing the song. <laughs> And Adam Levine being in this and being kind of good and like the one jokey song actually makes me more mad because I'm like, he can actually hit notes and like is a talented singer, but he yeah. chooses he chooses to engage with such bullshit. He has like such terrible taste in songwriting. <laughs> I'll I'll say too. I just want to leapfrog off of Pete's thing before I say my favorite Lonely Island songs. But there's actually a couple of artists in here that are like more fun than they usually are like carrie underwood showing up for a minute just to say how hot oh yeah we didn't talk about the talking heads yeah we need need to burn through them because dj Khaled is such an enormous fucking loser and like a talentless loser like his only his only talent actually is social networking like if you like a dj Khaled song congratulations you like a song that someone else made congratulations (laughs) how did you not say congratulations you played (laughs) congratulations you played yourself but like he he is not an actual producer producer where he like determines like all right like this is the texture that like i think will hit really hard with people everything on the radio sounds like this so we're gonna sound you know this far away from it so it sounds like you know people's ears perk up like he's not even that he's just like this guy makes good music. I'm going to get him in the in the booth to make some beats and I'm going to bankroll all the studio time and then I will also take a weird lion's share of the money. Like DJ Khaled is such a fucking loser and it's so fucking perfect that he's um <laughs> he's in this. He's running there for one second. Um I the best celebrity interview which they go to a lot. There's a few good ones, but like my favorite one is how often they go to to Nas. Um, he's so Nas like, is so good at the he's so man. good when he's like at yeah deadpan he's like man karate man that changed my life <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't relate to that song I couldn't relate to that song because like I had different things in my jeep <laughs> <laughs> so good he's so good who would ever thought that Nas was like that good of a comedian 
Like my dog was on the other side of the house, and I laughed so hard that like he was like, "I'm going to bed. See you." Uh, the uh, the the only like other funny, really like, well, there's a lot of funny moments, but the one that gets me the most because I actually it's cool that they got a fucking beetle to be in this movie, but he also has one of my favorite celebrity yes. talking head moments when he's like, he's writing about gay marriage like it's not allowed. It's allowed now. <laughs> Which <laughs> Ringo, is so, Ringo so to goddamn doink. good. Yeah, they get Ringo Starr to say doink to doink, which is like, what a fucking feat. Like, this movie is five stars just from that. Like, they got Ringo Starr to say the dumbest shit in the world, where he can he can literally not do anything but leave leave his house. Ringo Starr stopped answering fan mail, like, five or ten years ago. Like, he doesn't have to do anything but paint his stupid paintings and send them on eBay. I Yeah, it's I, I will also say from a song perspective... If I could have an alter, so this movie came out about nine months after I got married. I would have loved to have an alternate first dance with my wife where I play the Ashley Wednesday song. <laughs> Just because I would have loved if, because, you know, that's like the one time that people are very closely paying attention to lyrics. Like everyone has to shut the fuck up. It's actually a terrible moment if if you ever get married, Peter. You can probably relate. Where like, I I picked a too long song. It was four minutes. We're just sitting there like dancing. It it felt like everyone's watching you. It doesn't. It's not feel great. If I could have used Ashley Wednesday as a song, uh, where people slowly realize the lyrics seem super fucking weird for a wedding, I think that would have been amazing. <laughs> Well, Aaron, I like the song you picked, though. I like that you picked All Star. I like that you went in that direction. I like that you just did that. I thought it was. I thought it was. Yeah, romantic. and the fact that you played it at, at, at a five a five thousand slowed down pace, and yeah, that it took version. everyone roughly three hours to get through the first dance, like that. I, that's respectable. Yeah, I did. I did all the Neil C. C. Erica versions, <laughs> um, and specifically uh, slowed them down even more. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. That's um that, that that's uh wasn't it? At, at my wedding, I remember being like, "Yeah, can like I dance with my wife somewhere else? This is weird." I know. Stop staring. Well, at I, don't, me. I don't even remember your. I was at your wedding, and it wasn't that long ago. What was your? Dance uh, ours ours was um God only knows. Oh yeah. Good song. Oh, that's cute. That's yeah, cool. it's a pretty it's a pretty basic kind of it's a bit pretty basic kind of couple song. But like you know when so, you get attached to something, and you're like, I'm not gonna pick something else just because it's more obscure. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I mean, I'm, we're so, attached to this Sometimes things are basic for a reason. Sometimes they just work if it ain't broke. Yeah. It, and yeah. then uh, it was in says I danced with my mom to Heaven by uh, Talking Heads. Um, and that one I remember us being like, uh, two minutes in and being like. We really should have faded, huh? Like, you can only dance with your mom for so long. (laughs) Even she was just like, yeah, I mean, like, whatever. We started just making jokes eventually because we're like, this just just keeps going, huh? All right, we have to get back. Doug, what are your favorite Lonely Island songs? Well, in this movie, my favorites are, um, my favorites, Fuck Off is the number one one, but I do love Incredible Thoughts for the same reasons I brought up earlier about why I love the ending. Because everything gets a little payoff, but also... On a simple level, like there are lines in that song that I'll think about randomly during the day, and I'll just like, start <laughs> giggling. Yeah. Like, what's the one? What if a garbage man was actually smart? Like, just the way he says that is if it's the most profound. Like, whoa! I mean, the amount of times in my life I've been just like pumping gas, and in my head I've heard my name is Mister Fish. These these yes. thoughts have granted my wish. Oh yeah, is is uh probably more than I've like. 
uh, thought about like my great grandma mm. or something. Yeah, I, I, uh, we haven't really mentioned the fact that like Justin Timberlake is in this, but it is kind of amazing. He's kind, it's kind of indicative of how many celebrity cameos are in this for people that like clearly just showed up for like one day of filming and like cost some amount of money right like justin timberlake needs to get paid something to be on set like dj Khaled yeah, probably, needs to probably, get paid made a, probably made got a chef salary yeah <laughs> i love that mariah carey is in this and kind of makes fun of herself because that's something yes! mariah carey so does funny. not do like mariah carey so is not funny. self-deprecating at all she's like of the generation where it's like no i'm a proud woman and, and i absolutely will not degrade myself for any reason and she even makes a joke about not being humble at all and being totally detached yeah i it's it's fantastic it's so it's good really and it makes you like mariah carey more like she didn't realize that she she her career happened right before people realized like okay if i make fun of myself a little bit people will like me more this movie's great in how it just the way it utilizes celebrities. It's never like a late era Simpsons thing of like it's blanks celebrity name insert that here. It's like Emma Stone's here for just a two seconds and you go, is that Emma Stone? Or like Martin Sheen's here to punch Andy Samberg into a Dog Day Afternoon reference. Like it's the most random shit, but also hysterical. I like I don't know where to take this episode besides just talking about all the stuff I want to at least mention and at least just laugh with you guys because. There's so much good stuff. There's so much good stuff. I so here's a, like I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it to my three favorite gags that we haven't talked about. I love that after he serves the shit pancakes to find out who his real friends are, <laughs> that they pan like there's a big blow up. He basically says, "You two are not my real friends." Owen says, "the the fact and fact that you thought I was not was just hanging on for the the fame is unacceptable. I'm leaving Andy." you know, blows up and then the cameraman pans to his assistant who is just eating the shit pancakes and going through their phone. And the look that Andy Samberg gives the the cameraman of like, I, I don't know what to do with this information either. It's <laughs> so goddamn good. I love when they're talking about the extended Wu-Tang metaphor. It's, which is so good when they're like, yes. well, no, you can still have a solo career. Kind of like how like Ghostface Killer. He released an album, but he's still in the Wu-Tang Clan. And then they do that for three other members of the Wu-Tang <laughs> yeah, Clan. With the same yeah, and they're just like, but they're still in the Wu-Tang Clan. And then the caper on that is like, yeah, so we're like that, only way better. And then everyone pauses and goes, yeah, it sounded wrong the second, <laughs> the second it came out. <laughs> like, even these, like... Even even fucking uh, Connor for real, who thinks he's the you know the best music artist of all time, recognizes that he that he and the Style Boys are not as good as the Wu Tang Clan. Um, it's so it's so fucking good. And then uh, the last thing I just want to at least message uh, as a, as a moment. Um, sorry, now I'm doing, oh the the bees. I think I almost yes. pissed my pants. In I always think it's longer because I literally remember after that moment was over, I laughed so hard I had to get up in the theater and go to the bathroom, and I didn't want to, but like I had laughed so fucking hard that I was about to pee my pants. Uh, and it's very short that idea that he's the sales are bad. He asked the camera to turn off their camera, and then there's extending thing of bees that keep getting worse and worse until they have a weird flamethrower fight with a queen, and they're like, it's "Tell the me queen. you got that." 
And like it's the one time in a documentary that the cameraman has respected their wits to be off their their uh, wish to be off camera. Which normally in these these things they like go oh yeah sure and then they you know they hold the camera or they put it behind a plant. Yeah, we that, we, we know how uh, sound footage movies work. Yeah, so I God I fucking I fucking love that moment. The last thing I'll say uh, on jokes is I love that his first album is called Thriller. Also, <laughs> it's such a throwaway joke, right? It's it's just like uh. It, it, it's something that, like it's a blink and you'll miss it. Like I, I actually wrote down my first note that I put down is how do I take notes? Because <laughs> this is just a movie that goes yeah. too damn fast. Like there's, it's a blink and you'll miss it kind of movie. Yeah. yeah. What other what other like moments? And then I actually have two kind of like interesting things I think this movie's doing that I'd like to get to. But let's. What are some other funny the best, moments? The best that... joke ever is when Connor's totally down the spiral and he goes. <laughs> And it's it's such a perfectly crafted joke that like I uh I, I like want it in the context, but whatever. Um <laughs> basically Owen is saying like, yeah, doesn't it seem like we're selling out because they're signing a deal to put their songs into oh, people's yeah. refrigerators, but it's like in appliances, but it's being uploaded without their will, which I think is riffing on maybe the YouTube. A hundred percent it's riffing on the YouTube. That's actually one of the things that I that I uh, I I I don't like you two as a band. I don't like their music. I don't like them. So um, wait, you don't want to run or hide in the streets that have no name, Aaron? What the hell? Uh, I don't. No, I don't even like that song. I like Sunday Bloody Sunday. That's the U two song I like. I don't like most of the rest of their songs. Some of them are less offensive. Uh, it's not an edge lord thing. I just, I just really don't like them. I love oh, you talking you two to me. Just, this is just in Aaron is not a boomer. Uh, no, I really, I legitimately dislike you two. I was as dumb as it is. I was legitimately annoyed. I was using iMusic and the fact that I had curated my phone so perfectly with all the music that I liked. I was, I was actually, I know this, this part doesn't make me like, I was super annoyed. They put it on my phone. So I do love that very much. Didn't it take like months for that, for them to figure out how to get that out of your library, and you had to do some weird back, back. Yeah, you had to thing. do a bunch. You had to like, and and by that point, people weren't even using it. Like, so I never got it out of my library because you had to like go to the iTunes on your computer and do all these things. And it was like, I guess I just have this fucking U two album. But in terms of pop star gags, I really like. I want to raise attention to one line from Akiva Schaefer's <laughs> Lawrence, where it's about um when he left the band and how he feels he's an important part of it. And he says, three of us work so well together. We were like a tricycle. And what do you do when you take away one of those wheels? <laughs> You're a bicycle. Remove that. <laughs> take that out. And the way, the least had a great line, but the way he immediately goes, that that's bad. Take that out. <laughs> like, he's so, it's just so fucking funny to me that he's like, nope, that didn't work. Yeah, like nope. he's smart enough to realize that he walked into some weird bee nest or bee, beehive, yeah. like, Oh the the oh the the Akiva joke that or the Akiva and, and uh, Connor joke that I I, I wanted to uh, highlight. Um, Akiva's like, don't you think it's kind of selling out to put our um oh, our music in the in, in in these these refrigerators? And Connor's like, if you don't sell out, people will wonder if nobody asked you to. Yeah, which is <laughs> so fucking good. Like yeah, what is so good? It's so good, and it tells you who Connor's character is like in a half two seconds. Like in two seconds, you know exactly who that character is. It's amazing. How did we not? We didn't even talk about the poots. Um, it's so good to have the poots in here. She's very funny. As oh, you, you gotta get the poots. Gotta and get Mugen. The poots. Oh, okay, so she fascinates me. 
Her little career is so. We've talked about it so much, Doug. It is perplexing and amazing. Yeah, I'm because you guys have talked about it. I know. Okay, that's the thing. I'm not going to linger on it because you guys have talked about it, but it is weird how like 2013, right? Like they tried to make her a big leading lady with that awkward moment in Need for Speed, didn't quite work. But like you said, she keeps coming back, and now she's the star of a bit. Well, not. No, well, she's technically, like, third build in a Best Picture nominee this year. Like, she's... Yeah. Imugen Poots is, like, she endures, man. She keeps going. <laughs> Good for this her. This and Green Room came out the same month. <laughs> yeah, she's got range. I, like, yeah, and she's in her. Uh, Vivarium and... Um, Vivarium's so good. And uh, uh, The Art of Self-Defense as well. Like, so she's, that's good. she's great in that, too. She's really damn good in that. And, and she's good in Black Christmas. And she was even good in I Know This Much Is True. Um, with a role that isn't really well written, but she does well with it. How do you feel about us creating a cover band and doing a uh, parody, we'll call it, of uh, the song Everything, or the band Everything's Hooch? But then we say, we just, who's got the poots, baby? And then we'll list we'll list all the movies she's been in to really give people For a sense poots, of poots, there it is! First of all, everyone will just think it's a flatulence band. <laughs> but like, oh, who's got the poots, babe? Who's got the all? That's a 2001 hit wonder that I may be too far on <laughs> the old millennium side. Poots, guys. Pootsie and the Blowfish with could that work as a name? Like, <laughs> I only want to be with Poots. There you go, <laughs> Doug. You're our lead She's singer. Got it. She's got it, folks. You and me, 28 weeks later. Who's got the poops? Doug's got the poots. <laughs> we, The real poots are the friends we made along the way, if you really think about it. <laughs> yeah, I got the poots, like... <laughs> I, I love I love all the things about Lauren's also kind of being a crazy person, like when they're like looking at him in the limo and they're like, it's just the lighting, man. They're like, I don't they keep going back to that shot of him that just must be staring at another seat. And then also his woodwork poppy uh, that he makes and talks about. Like, oh, yeah, it's, I got this poppy because I wrote a song, except uh, I didn't get any of that because, like, it's so – him being a little bit of a psychopath is also very, very funny. Uh, can we also recognize the Tim Meadows? Oh, he's is... so good. He's so good. I mean, he's perfect in everything. Like, seriously, holy cow, this guy's underrated. But he is so good in this movie. When he's talking about But the, you are going to like it. Oh, my God. The fucking scene where he talks about his time in oh. Tony, Tony, Tony. And, like, how his career's been like, I've been going up and then I'm been going down. And now I'm up here. Pause. I'm probably due to go down soon, aren't I? <laughs> it's just yeah, this is for so Tony, good. Tony, Tony, Tony. <laughs> so good. And he's still petty about that shit. At the end, when he plays sax, he's like, I hope everyone... The only thing I hope is that everyone from Tony, 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 Tony saw it. <laughs> so good, man. God. The the moment the moment when um, Tim Meadows is threatening Hunter the Hungry, and he's like, I will eat your head! <laughs> so... <laughs> It just destroys oh Tim Meadows is like one of the most underrated yellers. He's they so, him, they he's don't so always good. let him yell, but when he yells, this is good. It's good stuff. I mean, he was from my, who, you know, your favorite Saturday Night Live cast is the one when you were 12. Like, he was part of that cast for me. All those 90s Saturday Night Live movies that aren't Wayne's World are bad. The one I have a slight 
affection for that I probably shouldn't is the ladies' man, just because Tim Meadows is so funny in that movie, even though they give him absolutely nothing to work with at any point. But he is just consistently funny in it. It is like a small tragedy that we didn't squeeze Walk Hard into this month. Um, for all of the listeners, it's just a small tragedy for them. Um, because he's playing a very similar role in Walk Hard. Where he's just sort of like a manager band staff member where he's like a little bit beaten, beaten down on, but also like has moments of just extreme expression. Um, And that's like, that's like Tim Meadows is just like really good at being like, it's like a, it's like a being in a band. Like it's kind of an appropriate metaphor. Like he's really good at like playing the beats and letting, you know, Will Ferrell hit a joke. But also, when it's his time to shine, like, he hits jokes. Well, like, give Mean, him a mean Girls is a really good example of a movie man. that has a million funny parts. And he is always, when he gets a chance to shine, he's always very funny. And, like, he has been underutilized. Like, a lot of, um, I feel like that that cast specifically has been underutilized. Um, it's so nice to see Molly Shannon really kind of start having like a place in a lot of like indie dramedies and stuff like Did that. Did she get a different always... manager? Like what happened? Why? Why? Is yeah, she, I, why is she I love seeing her and stuff. She's so good in everything. But like, um, you know, uh, Tim Meadows, I'm, I I would love to see him in more more parts like this. And it's great that he's in Walk Hard in this. But like, I don't think there's a I, I think you could put Tim Meadows in anything. Again, the ladies' man movie being a great example, and find ha- have him sell the fuck out of it. Uh, I also like uh, really other quick moments. I love that Jimmy Fallon even in this ruins everything. Like, for, like that that breaks down. Like Jimmy Fallon sucks. Uh, he helped enable Donald Trump. Uh, I like that he ruins Owen and, and and Connor's friendship because he is a toxic person who destroys everything he touches. Yeah. I like that uh, Owen has just seen the cl- the old movie Parent Trap, and it's the 1997 Lindsay Lohan <laughs> movie, not the Haley Mills yeah, version. And then the immediately when he movie. tries it, yeah, and then immediately when he tries it, uh, uh, he he doesn't even make it like one sentence past the, fr- the first thing when Connor's like, "Are you trying to parent trap me?" No, what? <laughs> so good, hyper specific. Same with like the the fucking. Bill Hader flatliner stuff where he says his hobby is flatlining and then goes as far to like spell it out for everyone of why he flatlines. It's, it's also great. It's the such last a great dark joke. And it's also funny that like Bill Hader shows up for like two seconds in this movie because there's an alternate version of this movie where Bill Hader is like, but that, that it makes sense for what it is as a music documentary, right? Because like they focus on the road crew for like a nominal period of time to make the documentary, these documentaries seem balanced, right? Yeah. Like they're like, oh yeah. And the best boy is tugging a bunch of a duct tape and a big bunch of big bundle of wires. He's running around all over the place keep going best boy anyways you're gone from the movie um it's it's like focusing on roadies is like a thing they do early in these movies to show like what a big production it is but they're basically just cogs um and like that's why it's kind of appropriate but like they could have totally had like way more time with this this roadie reacting to how shitty the tour is going um yeah but like it that we get any Bill Hader at all is is a gift, you know? It's a gift. The last thing I'll say from kind of a serious perspective of the, the, this movie kind of, like, tackles for a moment that I think is good is... Uh, and, and also, like, Justin Timberlake's in this movie, and I actually think he's, like, the epitome of this, which is this idea of, like, um, when Connor and uh, Hunter 
decide to be like co-pranksters and how everything you see of them being pranksters is literally terrorizing every other person that works on their tour. And I just like there's just been so much stuff about like, oh, this this like uh, like fucking even people that someone that everyone loves, like a Ken Griffey Jr. Like they're just pranksters. And then you hear like the stories of their pranks. And sometimes they're like these horrific things. And like, I think this movie does a good job of recognizing that like they the, the pranks that they think are so funny are done in a position of them being able to inflict whatever suffering they want because no one will fucking tell them to stop. And so they see themselves as pranksters. The narrative then becomes like uh, on, you know, whatever your MTV interview shows is, we hear you like to play some pranks on this set. And then every time you see it, you know, in the movie, it's like people just fucking trying to do their goddamn job to put food on the table for their family. And this rich asshole goes and tortures them for a moment. And then, of course, we also see it when Hunter pranks Connor in a very funny scene. It ruins Connor's life. Like, that idea of the epitome of I can dish this out to people that are well below the fame and wealth and power totem pole for me. And um, But the second it happens to me, uh, I, I want everyone fired. <laughs> Connor trying to play it cool with people who are actually in some ways his peers or rivals, but then but melting down in front of people he knows he can shit on is like such a crucial part of this movie. Um, because by the end of the movie, he's like fully apologized to all all of those people he shit yes. on on the way down. Uh, I also like that uh, no one stopped him from his fucking album cover for Conquest, which is literally just uh, a thousand of him giving a fucking Heil Hitler. <laughs> 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 and that is a scene of uh, Andy Samberg taking a katana to the big <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just such an awesome like we rented a mansion and we're just gonna have a bunch of scenes of uh, a rich asshole acting like a rich asshole in a mansion like Andy Samberg really owns owns the role in that that capacity I don't know oh it's yeah like, like, the, a, like the funeral for Maximus right where like <laughs> he, he dives into the pool followed by like a giant party that springs up around him while he has doesn't know how to stop it is so so great <laughs> he's just staring off like dead-eyed because like yeah. he actually doesn't know how to throw like a solemn dignified event yeah. his, his entourage has no idea because like, he's still got a dj right yeah because like, <laughs> it's this whole it, because i i guess sort of pushing the final thoughts like yeah um one thing that this movie skewers is the concept of like epic culture and this idea then oh. that like yes highlighting how much of a dead end it is yeah and um how i think it takes people like hitting rock bottom to realize that it's a kind of vile dead end and what i mean by epic culture is like exhibited in this movie it's like um we need to be shooting for the biggest crowds possible the biggest imprint you can never stop to have a moment of humility any moments that seem like you're having a moment of humility are actually just a way to uh stoke your ego more it, it, social media is just another way to further inflate your ego like um once you start inflating your ego you can never stop like that balloon needs to keep going and going and it'll never pop the balloon will never pop um yeah and, it's and, like, like the barnification what... from how i met your mother right like even yeah. the most yeah, yeah, mundane yeah. It, events need to be like these um these these extravagant occasions that you can tell all your friends about 
Yeah, and it's sort of uh, a Carpe Diem style, uh, YOLO style approach to life. Um, and YOLO is a very appropriate, I think. Uh, Say no, no. <laughs> Isolate no, no yourself YOLO. and roll solo. <laughs> I think uh, the, the YOLO um, sort of like way of life is, is very appropriate because like on its surface, it's, it's this like faux philosophical thing. Like if I believe in me and I put out in the universe that I'm the biggest thing in the universe, I'm going to become the biggest thing in the universe. But in reality, um, what it actually ends up being is this like disgusting thing of capitalism where you just are just boiling yourself down and removing everything that's human about yourself and constantly putting yourself out social on social media and constantly putting yourself out as a promotional item to the point that you are just like a product to be bought and sold. And it's not even about selling out specifically. It's about selling out everything to the point that like you are, you're a product to be sold. And if you're not selling well, like you become suicidal um and like that's that's one thing that i love this movie skewers and speaks to like a higher cultural value is because it's really trying to take apart like with a, with a, what ends up being a very humanist sympathetic eye a disgusting culture which is yeah. like it's not just about people making music and people making music that everyone can love it's it's this disgusting marketing machine that's just tied to like this this capitalist enterprise of turning people into products and like the, the movie, I think, better than, like, a lot of um, <laughs> big movies about fame, because a lot of those are very terrible. Um, Mariah Carey has been in one of them. The, uh, it, it, en- it ends up skewering that Precious. stuff while being uh, a, a, a fairly, um, a very, a, a, it, it ends up being that without uh, compromising the fact that it's fucking hilarious. Doug, what do you have for final thoughts? Um, I think, first of all, that. Pete's just done a... Ooh, that's going to be tough to follow up. Um, I think... I'll edit out all the good stuff so you sound better. Fantastic. (laughs) It'll be three words. Um, No, I think Popstar is definitely the apotheosis of a lot of critical themes in their work. The expression of toxic masculinity, the hollowness of fame, um, the way they make actually good music and not just funny music. Um, And above all else, it's just like... It's also interesting that this is a rare thing that involves all three of our leading, our Lonely Island actors as performers. Yeah. There's video shorts they've done where it's Yorma and Akiv, like We Hate Sports. There's stuff uh, with Andy and Yorma, uh, like I Just Had Sex. It's rare we see all three of them on screen together. Even uh, Hot Rod doesn't have – it's not just them. There's also Danny. There's also Bill. Like this – is a movie where we... Well, and Akiva's behind the camera on that one, right? Right. I, thank you, Aaron. I literally couldn't remember off the top of my head. But it's like, Akiva in that? I remember Yorm's, his brother in that. I couldn't remember, like, Akiva's yeah. in that? Is Akiva in that? But yeah, it's midnight here. But like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's... <laughs> the three of them don't get to hang out, be the lead actors a lot. So this does yeah. feel like The Lonely Island, the movie, in a lot of respects. Yeah. And... It's just, it's a glorious thing to watch. Even if you don't know Lonely Island stuff, it's going to be a very funny movie. But as someone who, again, has been watching Lonely Island stuff since that fateful day, September 2011, like, I think it's just wonderful. It's the rare, like, thing you look forward to that lives up to the expectations and feels like a great extension of the past rather than, like, oh, this is where they got bad or where they, like, they their reach exceeded their grasp. Like, this is the movie... That epitomizes rather than undercuts the things that I love about the Lonely Island. So those are all my rambly final thoughts. 
Peter and I rarely on this show just lament that a movie wasn't more financially successful. Just because, you know, most of the time it's like, who cares? Like, it's good. It's not good. Uh, you know, sometimes the box office is surprising, uh, whether it's way higher than we would have thought or lower. But, like, this is probably one of the few movies that I feel like it kind of hurts that it just wasn't more successful. Not because they haven't continued to, A, stay together as a as a producing group and a musical group. And, like, again, they, they toured for the first time in 2019, and it was amazing. Um, I hope they do more of those things. And I, I hope they, you know, Palm Springs was, like, I think probably the first big, like, holy shit, a movie that we're all excited to see that came, that was supposed to go to theaters, that's going straight to Hulu, and we're all excited about. Like, they, we, we've spent, actually, weirdly, the last six months on this podcast talking about how much of their stuff is good and how much we love we we love their work and how excited we are for more stuff. So the, the lamenting is more just, like, Man, if this would have been a, even even a hundred million dollar, an eighty million dollar hit, maybe maybe they could have done more stuff at a, at a bigger level that you just have to know is percolating because they have they have been creatively successful as a group in uh for for you know twenty years essentially, and that that is amazing, and have ste- seemed to stay uh, somewhat grounded. They and and still uh still friends and so like it's hard not to look at something like this and just not wish it was more successful but i also think like it is one of the things that i find lonely island projects and this as as the 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 shining example of this surprising to go to a weird theme that we've established even before we started rolling tonight is that like i am 37 year olds it is hard for me to go see a movie and makes me just not stop laughing for its entire runtime. Just because, like, it was easier when I was younger, right? Like, when I saw stuff like Dumb and Dumber or Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie, or, like, Naked Gun for the first time or something like that. Like, I had legitimately never seen comedies, or Monty Python, a really great example, The Holy Grail. Like, I just never seen comedies that were doing the things that they were doing. And so, like, you're not just laughing because the moments themselves are funny, but there is a like almost a building of like how can they keep doing this for the whole movie like how can they keep surprising me like i didn't even know that these were jokes that were possible and so i feel like as i've gotten older there's a lot of comedies i love and would like to do more of on the show sometimes too but i i feel like it's rare that a comedy has me in stitches for 90 minutes and the fact that this is one of those movies that basically does that um but this one you know does something that most even the best comedies like i don't get choked up at naked gun i don't get choked up at monty python the holy grail like i got choked up because a turtle dies in this movie like it has a sweetness that usually comes from sacrificing uh how funny a movie can be this movie does a weird thing where it walks the line between me basically being in stitches for the half of it and the times that i'm not laughing i'm getting affected by what's happening on screen and i really think that is a rarity that is essentially almost uh, unmatched in the in the comedy world and again it's just a, I, I hope that if you're listening to this and somehow never got around to watching the movie i hope you you do and i i hope that they get a chance to continue to make movies that uh clearly come from some level of 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 personal personal stories to tell well aaron it's funny you should mention that because i realized a few hours ago that we were recording this um 
on the day Akiva Schaefer's new movie starts filming. Oh, what's his new movie? You're you're an insider now, Doug. <laughs> the yeah, I got the inside scoop from the Lonely Islands public Instagram. Um, Akiva Schaefer uh, is directing the live action Chippendale. Oh, that's Rescue right, Rangers movie, which starts filming today with Andy Samberg as Chip. Um, I'm pretty into so, that. Like, I don't think they could do much that would make me sight, but that definitely appeals to my older millennial sensibilities. Honestly, well. of all the properties, like, for them to tackle, that actually feels like, okay, that could probably be something, especially with John Mulaney also starring. Like, oh, that's right. right. Like, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Like, they're not going to be, like, too pigeonholed to what the old show is. It's not <laughs> like they're allowed to take it into a Lonely Island-ish direction. That yeah. sounds fine. I, I'm into that. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. And it's and it's written by Rachel Bloom's husband, who's pretty funny, too. Yeah, he so is like, very funny. Apparently, he wrote the script, which is interesting that he wrote on his own, and then Disney was like, oh, we'll take it. You've written this. We'll make it, I guess. We're, we're already going to do it. So. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, if you wrote it? Great. Even better than what we were going to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, they were like, we want to just make it for the brand name. And this guy's like, I, I wrote this in, in a hotel room for fun. No, yeah, even better. Brand it over. You gotta gotta feed the the gristle mine. Disney's just like we we need to get movies out there again. Hey, there's just a great Lonely movie. Island song about that Do called movie. "Feed the Beast." <laughs> Beast. Uh, yeah, Doug. Thank you so much for coming back on our show. This was amazing. It is always a privilege and an honor. Being I'm sorry, on. it's midnight where you are. Uh, it's midnight where I am too. But clearly, we have. Oh, my uh, My days at Walgreens taught me to stay up well past midnight, Aaron. Trust me. Like, <laughs> if I could stay up at midnight during a pandemic at Walgreens, I can stay up at midnight for my best <laughs> buds. Like, that's no problem. Aw, what a sweetie. Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah, Doug, thank you so much. This was, this was so much fun. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm uh, glad that we also gave you like a, a slew of movies to pick. And I think you picked the one that I was most excited to, yeah. <laughs> to talk to you about. I'm also glad you didn't come on Inside Out because... Uh, yeah. Peter doesn't like uh, Inside Out. I'm very curious to hear those thoughts when that podcast drops in a few months. I'm very curious. It's I think next week. <laughs> oh, very excited. But not but from where if you're so if you're hearing this now, it was two months ago. <laughs> ago. So, uh, Doug, that's a great segue into knowing that this is the third week of May, which of course you know because you're living it. What do you have to promote? Well, so um, in addition to just the writing I do on a bunch of websites um, regularly, like Off Culture, The Spool, Scarletine, um, I am also, by this point, hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll have finished shooting my first original short film, The Rainbow Door. Oh. Um, so my first writing and directorial debut. So literally nothing more to say on that than just, hey – Keep an eye out for that in the future. Maybe it'll play some film festivals. Maybe it'll go straight to YouTube. I will just wherever it can play. But just to put that on the radar for people to keep your eyes peeled. Because in addition to just talking about movies, now I'm going to start making them. And that sounds pretty cool to me. That's amazing, I'm Doug. So, I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm so excited to see what this is. <laughs> this is so fun. It's going to be weird. It's going to be emotional. It's going to be pretty gay. And it's going to be hopefully fun for people to watch, because I'm having a blast making it. That's awesome. That's yeah, that's a great pitch. I'm excited. Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, um, well, well, if if it is released in any fashion that people can watch it, uh, well, first of all, look in the show notes because you're going to see all the links to to Doug's wonderful writing. Um, and if there is some way to watch it by the time the third week of May comes out, that'll be in there. If not, Doug, you need to come back on. 
when, <laughs> uh, when when it's getting closer to release. Because we have a lot of good stuff coming up this summer that we're going to record a little actually closer. So uh, let us know when you're about to when, – when you have an avenue for people to watch it, and we will find a spot for you back on our show because we love having you on. When that when that's ready to drop, I will totally come back on to my fave movie podcast. I it's always a privilege and pleasure, guys. And it's been just as you were saying earlier about like my writing stuff over the last few years. Also been so cool to see this podcast just be so steadily awesome over the years. So you guys are doing good, consistent work. Thank you for providing a fun anchor during these like uncertain times. Uh yeah, thanks, Doug. That is uh it's very sweet. Very sweet. Doug. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, and it has been for us, so we really appreciate that uh, you uh, have found it uh, fun to listen to. Uh, and we, we, we're going to try to stay consistent, not any better than we usually are. Just just we're going to try to stay right in the lane that we've carved out. If, we might burn out if we, get any, if we try to get any better. Yeah. No, it's not that we don't think we're doing good work. We're just clear that we're not going to do any better. <laughs> So whatever good that you're at is where it was where we're at. But otherwise, uh, I don't know. I guess uh, if if you don't like the end of this podcast, you can just fuck off. I don't need your <laughs> shit. Whatever. That's an incredible thought, Aaron. Oh 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 oh. I'm gonna live forever. I'm gonna live forever. Hey yo, this one's dedicated to all the little kids out there whose parents are always riding them. Telling you to do your homework, never letting you eat dessert, and making you go to bed before you're ready. But listen, the next time they're acting bogus, I want you to try this out. Stand up on your tippy toes, look them dead in the eye, and say, Mom, Dad, you can both How many of the kids out there got a teacher that's always riding them? Saying, don't eat paste. Don't talk during nap time. Well, the next time your teacher's being a grumposaurus, stand tall, look them dead in the eye, and say, teacher, could you help me out and just Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>